is the Under Center Podcast. On the Dynamo Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Darmar, and I'm joined by two of the only lads that think an Easter egg is a hard-boiled egg covered in chocolate, Fionn Malai and Jake Woolhead. Guys, I guess you learned the hard way that's not what an Easter egg is. It was a rough surprise waking up and uh, biting into a hard-boiled egg, I'll have to say, covered in chocolate. I enjoyed it. I might eat them that way from now on. I thought it was delicious. I like eggs, so I mean... It wasn't I'm, allergic, I'm allergic to eggs. <laughs> I find it that. <laughs> so that's why it tasted good. Was it more just because you uh, passed out? It was the it was the anaphylactic shock that tasted good. I think that that adrenaline to get me going again. That's what I enjoyed. On the show today, we are continuing our off-season series, and by welcoming back uh, Dana O'Gorman from Air Turf Football and the Hawk Blogger Podcast to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Dana, it's been a minute since we've had you on the show last. Uh, how has your, well, I guess, twenty twenty one been? It's been tw- it's been a while. Yeah, it has been. Um, yeah, it's it's been going much better than this time last year, right? Like everything this year is just just a little bit rosier. No, doing good. Um, we've been really, really busy and, and, you know, things are a little different over here in the States. You know, we get to open up a little bit more than you guys do. And, and that's, I'm hoping you guys get to catch up soon because it is very freeing to actually go into a movie theater, walk into a movie theater. There might only be 15 people in there, but I can walk into a movie theater. So yeah, so it's been, it's been a lot nicer and, and um, I don't know, it's the, the feeling of doom is starting to go away. So that's nice. So it's a good feeling. We hope to have that maybe at some stage later on in the year, but we'll keep our uh, impending dread feeling just for the time being before we <laughs> before we get into the show. If you are watching this on YouTube, if you can do us a really, really big favor and like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network, because that is where you will find this podcast each and every week. You'll also find us uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts in the audio form by also searching for the Dynamo Podcast Network so you'll get it wherever you need to listen if you're on the move going for your 5K walks as we are allowed to go to around here. And if you are subscribed to the Dynamo Podcast Network, you'll probably notice that we've had a new show debut this past week. It's for all you NHL ice hockey lovers. It's called Flaming Puck. It is a Calgary Flames fans podcast. So if you do like the NHL and you do have an affinity with the Calgary Flames, make sure you check that out too. So let's get straight into some Seahawks talk. I'm going to start with the obvious, the uh, the elephant in the room here. That's the main talking point of Seahawks football throughout the whole offseason so far. Dana, when are we getting throwback jerseys? Oh, as soon as they let us get a second helmet, right? Like that's <laughs> what we all want. And, and, you know, there's been lots of arguments on online and people don't understand the reason why the Seahawks haven't done their throwback jerseys is because they can't change their helmets. You have to have the same helmet Now you can change the stickers, but you can't change the helmet. So there are lots of great ideas that came out silver stripe, silver, this, that, and the other trying to make it look good. I know I'm hoping it's, I, I, I heard a rumor that they are thinking of allowing a second helmet that can be thrown or can be worn with a throwback or with color rush. And so 
fingers crossing because that was the greatest jerseys ever right you said yeah. you can have a sticker on it why not just do a whole sticker yeah well, that's a a whole 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 sticker. <laughs> exactly. it's, loophole. it's all about loopholes <laughs> <laughs> right or making you even three quarter and then just have these blue stripes down the side or something i know i think that's a great idea that's pretty good I know. Like you need to be on the uh, Jersey design team for the Seahawks now. I think <laughs> I'm emailing them right now. <laughs> <laughs> you Although just got I'm a text from Nike being like, bing, we need you. <laughs> Nike has followed me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, I do love the uh, the Illuminous Green Color Rush jerseys. They are probably one of my one of my favorite Color Rush jerseys in the uh in the league and everyone knows how unbiased I am towards the Seahawks. So you definitely know that is a true uh, and honest statement right there. But, but seriously, the, the biggest storyline in the offseason so far has been Russell Wilson. Trade rumors have started pretty much from when he went on the Dan Patrick show, talking about how he wasn't protected as much as he would like to. And then he started doing his social media videos with the two words that were missing that put dread into every Seahawks fans. Uh, hurt he wasn't saying go Hawks anymore which was awful now I don't know about you but I was a little worried at one stage that the, that the trade was actually going to happen with the reports being as intensive coming from every angle now you're someone who has their ear closer to the ground did you feel at any stage Dana that the Seahawks were that this was actually going to happen that could happen you know it uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I, I just didn't. I, I never once really thought, I thought, huh, that's that's an interesting prospect. I, I, I don't know how they would pull it off because the dead money and everyone's like, now we all have to lay the ground rule of the cap isn't real. You can work around it seven ways to Sunday, right? Like it's not hard to get around cap, dead cap, all this other stuff. But the one thing that is hard to get around is that dead cap money. And not the best way Seattle could have done it was to have another team pick it up and there's this but not this year the money's not there this year when it came down to two teams that could have afforded this they were not on russell wilson's little short list which we have now pretty much learned didn't really come from russell wilson came from his agent who's brilliant and yes a little oh i hate to say schmarmy but he's a little schmarmy but so you know but here's the thing when you look at the, the true overview of this team, Russell Wilson had never complained before, not a single time. And I think that's what shocked everyone is that he verbally complained about his team. And I think then that's where a lot of this came from. It was a gasp, right? Oh my gosh, what is going on? But really he never said he wanted out of Seattle. In fact, he said the opposite. He wanted to stay in Seattle. The team never hinted that they were wanting to get rid of him, but they're not going to be stupid and not listen to people, you know? And, and I think that you can only give four, you can't give five first round picks. The most you could ever give is four. I think that is the rule. Well, if someone's given up, you know, that kind of capital, I could see why they would listen. But what we all need to remember as Seahawks fans and as, as fans in the league certain things go together and as much as they hate it, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll go together and the way they work together and the way they have put their careers out are dependent on one another. Now, could this happen in another year or two? Absolutely. That, that I don't question at all. I really don't think Pete Carroll is going to be 
um, coaching or in the league um, for probably more than about two more years. I really, I know we just signed that extension, but honestly, a lot of times those are retirement plans because the team will just pay it out and let them retire. And so um, I think if Pete were gone, that would be a bigger question mark or if it's in the last year with Pete, but Pete Carroll is not going to rebuild with just two years left in his, in, you know, in his career. And so I think when, when you, when you lined up the logical and got rid of the hysterical, which there was a lot of hysterical going on, I just don't think that, that this year of all years, that was going to happen. And, and you sort of alluded to it there a little bit in, in terms of long-term mm-hmm. in Seattle, do we think that do, we probably won't see Russell Wilson sign another contract? I know I think it's three years left on his current deal. So mm-hmm. after that, do you think then it would be Russell and Seahawks saying thanks for everything? Now it's time to move on. I think it's possible. Um, and had. Tom Brady not left the Patriots, I would have thought it was a little less possible because if you look at the true franchise quarterbacks, they have a tendency to stay with the same team. Um, but Brady, once again, is the outlier and, um, you know, went to a different team and succeeded um, thanks to that defense, but that's another conversation. <laughs> so um, I think that it's definitely possible. Now, here's a caveat that you have to kind of keep in mind. So let's say Pete says, okay, I'm out in two years. You know, I have this season and next season, and then I'm gone. And let's say Waldron, the new offensive coordinator, comes in and just slam dunks this, right? Who's to say that Russell isn't going to want to carry on with that and see where it goes with the new coach? However, if that's not the case, or if it isn't, Waldron's like, dude, you're not my guy. I think the head coach is going to have, whoever that may be, is going to have some say in that. And, and so it'll be interesting where we have seen like in green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, the quarterback pulled the strings, got his coach fired. I think that's not the case here. It will be a retirement and then a decision after that. Yeah. I'm in complete agreement. I was thinking of that. Um, but I was in the, the mindset of uh, if there's any drama in the NFL, that's that big and it causes Dara that much uh, uncomfortableness. I'm all, always in on that. I, I want to push them buttons on there, but say, let's just, Pivot away from Russell Wilson at this moment. Uh, the Seahawks recently lost Quentin Dunbar. Um, that secondary, it's not looking good, apart from maybe Jamal Adams. Um, where do you see they go with this? Is there moves to be made to save it, or what are they going to do? I disagree a little bit. I think the secondary actually doesn't look so bad. I, I really like Reed. I like the way he played last year. I was really impressed with what he came up with and, and how he – kind of molded himself to fit into the role that was asked of him. Um, And I am not so afraid of Witherspoon either. I I was impressed that he had flashes. Now he didn't have, you know, like this huge standout season, but he's consistent and he plays like a Seattle cornerback if you watch him play. But you guys have probably heard me say this a thousand times because I keep beating this drum as loud as humanly possible on Twitter. They need to bring Richard Sherman back for two reasons. Number one, because he has to come back to Seattle. It's completely emotional. And yes, Dana wants him back in Seattle. But second reason is that he adds a spark. He adds an intelligence. He adds another level um, to that secondary. Is he the player he was five, six years ago? Of course not. But that doesn't matter. He's still playing at a very high level. He's had some injury issues. But when you have the depth that is starting to build up in that position, 
I think that it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Plus, come on, you know you want Jamal Adams and Richard Sherman on the same field at the same time. How much fun would that be? There'd be so much smack talk going on. It would be worth every dime they paid him. Now, um, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I do know that I, I've been told anyway that, you know, the team and Richard, they, they don't feel like any bridges were burned. They would be, you know, be fine. Richard has said very publicly he'd be happy to go back to Seattle. I think the team feels the same way. It's going to come down to money and, and what they want to do there. But I think that that would be, that would be a lot of fun. But I'm sure we're going to talk about this in a minute. But I think that in that secondary, I like Quandre Diggs a lot. I like Jamal Adams. I like the corners that we have. Are they elite level like of the Legion of Boom was? Of course not. But that was lightning in a bottle. That is never going to happen again, or at least probably not for Seattle. So you have to look at what you have there. And I think there's a lot of good pieces in that secondary. But I will say this, the most important thing that happened for the secondary actually happened in front of them. And that was bringing back Carlos. That was the most important thing that they could have done for that secondary. It's pretty rough to have a, a good secondary if you don't have a good upfront uh, D-line. So yeah, absolutely a, a strong move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, and could I just get your opinion? Because um, Ugo Amadi played a lot of, of the year in the sort of the slot uh, cornerback position. Um, and there was one player that I was actually looking forward to seeing a lot last season, but unfortunately he injured himself. I think it was in week three or week two, maybe against the Patriots. It was Marquise Blair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's uh, on his way back. I think it was an ACL that he ended up uh, doing in, uh, unfortunately, last season. It would be an interesting battle between those two. But do you think any of those, do you think either Blair or Amadi could transition to become sort of an outside cornerback to take one of those positions left by Griffin and Dunbar? I think so. I think so. I, I agree. Marquise Blair was really flashing when he got hurt last year. I thought I was really impressed with the way he was playing. Um, I know. Oh, sorry, guys. My light died. Um, I think that um, that it was really impressive to see the jump he had made that quickly. I thought that that was really important. Um, the same with Ugo, but at a different level. It was Blair just was a bright light to me. I was really impressed with that. Now, um, could they can transition? I think that they could. Um, I, I think that anyone who plays kind of in those positions has the ability to move around. Now, whether they have good comfort level or not, I don't know. That might take a little bit of time, but I definitely am excited to see them back. Here's the thing, though. How great is that depth getting? You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you would trust that if, if let's say they did bring Sherm back and then Sherm got hurt, but you have Witherspoon, but let's say Regar, you have some, some pieces where last year we had no pieces. Like there was nothing left to be done toward the end of last year. So that was really, really impressive. Yeah. And going closer then to the linebacker position, they've lost KJ Wright, still have Bobby Wagner and, and uh, Brooks had a really good first year uh, rookie season, I believe in, in the snaps that he played. Is there still a chance for KJ Wright to come back or would Seattle be better off maybe spending, saving a little bit of money, I should say, on getting maybe uh, if there is any sort of linebackers left out there in in free agency that they might like, maybe a veteran that might take a, a smaller deal? Um, two parts to that one. Yes. I definitely think there is a chance that KJ comes back. I, in fact, I think there's a very good chance that KJ comes back. Um, I would say over 50%. <laughs> I'll put it that way. And the reason that I think that is because he hasn't signed somewhere else yet. 
If, if someone else was offering him these boatloads of money, of course he's going to take that. But here's the way I was looking at it. If you look, KJ and Bobby are linked, right? Much like Russell and Pete, they, you know, they, they, they are disconnected and they play better when the other one is on the field. But KJ is in the end of his career. He was looking for that payday, right? Well, it doesn't sound like he's getting it. Or if he is, they're being very quiet about the whole thing. But I do can see KJ saying, okay, there's a million dollar difference between what Seattle said I would could get, you know, would they'd give me and these guys over here. I'm not going to uproot everything to go over here for a year. And so I could see them bringing him back probably on a one year deal. Um, maybe to backload it, you know, do all that other good stuff they can do with the cap. But I, I could see that happening in him staying in Seattle. Um, as for other veteran linebackers, I think Seattle is kind of looking at, at the point where it'd be like, okay, now do we pay a little bit extra to bring KJ back or do we start over from scratch with this guy, even though he's a little cheaper? I don't know that they're going to do that when this is just an anomaly of a year. They realize they just have to get through this year and then next year it's going to be, you know, lots more elbow room and it's just going to go crazy up from there. So I think that that's probably um, that why I think that there's a, a, a more than 50% chance that KJ comes back, especially we heard that story. I, mean, I don't know if you guys heard that, that, that story that the Cowboys were really looking into him and then nothing came of it. And I was like, Nope, there's some, there's something else there. So. He did always, he did always mention, uh, especially in a few interviews that he's done since the off season that, he doesn't feel like he deserves to give the Seahawks a, a hometown discount, as they call mm-hmm. it. So maybe like you were saying, he has gone, teams maybe have not met his evaluation. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's say he has taken a, another look at things and possibly looking to come back, which would be obviously great for, for the defense. And like you said, for his relationship with, with Bobby Wagner. Um, just one more on the free agency side, uh, going mm-hmm. on to the offense side of the ball. They address some of Russ's issues um, by trading to get Gabe Jackson. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you believe it was enough? Because the same O-line that he had last season is pretty much back, minus Mike Yopati, who retired and replaced with Gabe Jackson. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there was an, an issue throughout the season with a lot of injuries as well, but... I don't know about yourself, but with the likes of Eaton Postage, I don't know if he would be a starting center that the team could rely on for the for the next season. I agree. Um, I was not thrilled at the Postage signing, but at the same time, I got it, right? Like, it's like you have to have somebody in there. You can't have that big of a hole and then what, you know, have nobody, you know, when OTAs and camp start. And so I get them bringing him back. He knows the system. He knows what Russell wants. And he was a serviceable center. Not great in any way, but he was serviceable. So let's lock him up, put him in the corner. He's there if we need him. He's our emergency. So then I know that they were trying to get some of the other big names and, you know, free agency didn't happen. And so what I'm thinking now, when you look at this line, I think Gabe Jackson is a striking upgrade from what we had before. And I think that having that presence there would would be a huge difference maker. The other thing I think is interesting though, is, you know, there were a couple of their players who just couldn't get wrong because they were just injured, injured, injured all the time. But we did have these great rookies that looked pretty good last year. We all know that rookies make a huge jump from year one to year two. And so I think that that is going to be very helpful on that line. I'm expecting Seattle to draft the center. 
I expect Seattle to draft a center with the first pick that they have, which is not till round two, but I still expect them to pick up a center there. Um, I think that that's probably most logical. Now others have talked about getting that third wide receiver with that pick. I guess someone they really like is still sitting there um, that they might want to do that. But I just feel like if they can bring in a center in the second round and they have post they have a nice little camp battle, they'll be able to kind of work that position out a little bit there. But I do think that they have done a lot because we also have to remember they brought in Everett from the tight end, you know, from the Rams and he's, he's a, a market upgrade, nothing against Greg Olson. He's just older. He was at the end of his career. And I think that Everett will add another, you know, spice to the mix there. And so I think that with that bringing in Jackson and then hopefully getting a center or, making Posick better somehow, if that's possible. I think that Russell will be okay. I think, I think that it will be because I'm sure with a little bit of pushback that he must have gotten from some people, he had to really take a breath and own some of those sacks. As we all know, Russell Wilson does, you know, deserve some of the um, credit <laughs> for those sacks. And so I think that, that hopefully that, and then he was real excited about the extension of Tyler Lockett. So I think that that is what you know, I think, I think Russell's happier than other people think he is, so. Dana. Dana's Dana. being so kind to Greg Olson. He was <laughs> shocking last year. Shocking. He, he was a little aged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was aged. <laughs> I liked Greg Olson when he was younger, so I, I want to be kind to him now. <laughs> I liked him when he was in the, the, the rap song that he was in when he was in college. I don't know if any of you have seen that one. No, Greg but with I the extra leg, I don't think we need to r- run over it. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dana, um, it's April 29th. Every team in the NFL is prepared for the NFL draft. Firing a couple of teams. The Seahawks are not going to be participating in the first round unless there's any massive trades that are probably not going to happen. <laughs> Who do you see in the second round and the fourth round? And then I think you have a seventh round pick there. Seventh, yeah. Who do you see going? Obviously, you want an O-lineman, hopefully a center for you guys. And then with your fourth and seventh round picks, who do you see the, the team going with? I think the logical is you take the top-rated center that's left at the second with the second pick. You take the top-rated wide receiver, you know, at the fourth. And then um, you go back in on the seventh and I don't know, we have to remember, we don't have a backup quarterback really right now. So that might be good too. Um, but there have been a lot of people who've talked about Seattle trading that, that second pick um, and, and to either trade up to the first, I just don't see John Snyder doing that. That's just not his MO. It's not the way he runs things, but maybe moving back, you know, into the second round, maybe getting a couple third rounds for this, that, and the other. Um, Cause there's teams that are real needy out there. And yes, Seattle only has the three picks, but I really don't expect them to end the day with three picks. I expect them to end with four to five. And so um, I think that that is going to be just to kind of get a little bit more depth. I think, yeah, but otherwise I really truly think you just, if they play it straight and just be like, we're going to fill the holes we need, it's center, wide receiver, and then maybe another defensive player, maybe another quarterback. Yeah, I would have said cornerback myself, but not high. I think obviously you guys have a, an O-line issue that needs to be solved uh, quite high in the draft. So hopefully with your second round pick, we can see that Russell Wilson gets his wish, much to Fionn's dismay on quarterbacks. Colin I, I might be caught. I might be caught if they sign a good fan. <laughs> 
we might have to we might have to bring someone else on full time then after this <laughs> <laughs> if you get it wrong well, well to be fair you're not totally wrong on on the issue with uh, who who was the quarterback wasn't it the sean watson you had the issue with yeah well, so i guess hindsight you're kind of doing all right so you know um but yeah, like, like you were saying, Dana, I, I think, what was it, two, three years ago, I think Seahawks had were in a similar situation. They had not a lot of picks and they turned it into a lot of picks. I think one involving, actually, I think Frank Clark was being traded to Kansas that, that year as well. That mm-hmm. got them a first round pitch, which they tried to. But just looking at the broader sense of it, and uh, because the 49ers made a move to get into the top three last week. So that's three out of four NFC West sides that have traded away multiple first round picks um, in, in upcoming drafts, the Cardinals being the exception. Now, I want to know, are they crazy or are they onto something here that m- might be used league-wide going forward? Like, are, are they trading away their high picks for proven players in the league instead of taking a chance on someone out of college that may or may not work? Because if you just see the example, just in last year's draft, Isaiah Wilson drafted by the Titans, less than a year later, he's already out of the league after being drafted away. Plus, the Seahawks don't really have a lot of uh, success in recent years when it comes to first-round picks <laughs> either. So, but, but what you need, like, is this just an anomaly now? Or I think it was the Rams that really started this trend, and now the Seahawks and the 49ers are picking up on it now as well. Mm-hmm. Is it something that we might see more frequently going forward. I think that is something we might see more frequently going forward, but at most it's going to be for those, what many call the blue chip players. It's going to be the players that are impact players immediately. These are all pro players. These are players that, um, that, you know, are huge difference makers. And, and I'll go back and, and once again, hindsight's 2020, where this analogy did not work out for Seattle, but I heard many people say when they traded away a first round pick for, um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Who's the tight end we got from the Saints? Jimmy Graham? Yes, Graham. I was thinking Miller, 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 and that's not it. Sorry. So Jimmy Graham, everyone's like, well, would you, would you rather have, you know, Jimmy Graham or this? Well, at the time we all said Jimmy Graham. (laughs) Well, yeah, there you go then. But at the, but that was the first time I really heard that. It's like, is this, if this player was in the first round right now in the draft, would you take him? Well, of course. And so he's worth that first round pick that you give away. But what I'm seeing, especially this year, is it's you're giving them away like candy, right? Like everybody, I am one of the few people I think left that's still absolutely okay with the Jamal Adams trade. I am totally okay with everything they gave up for him. Many are not. And I understand why, but I still think that he is, you know, a huge impact player for this team. But I do think it is a trend that we are going to see more of where you're going to see other teams demanding it for these players. Not necessarily that the teams want to give up, say, hey, we got a couple first round picks here. Why don't you take them? That's not it. It's going to be that the teams are demanding it of them. And if they really want that player, then they'll go ahead. Because then you turn around and you have trades like Carlos Dunlap and how inexpensive and crazy that was for Seattle and how well it worked out. So I think they're going to assume that it's going to equal out at some point. Dana, a really quick question that will go to somewhere more positive now. So the draft is over. You fill the needs. 
the team looks the way you want it to. What philosophically or systemically would you like the Seahawks to look like next season? More ball on the ground, keep the ball in the air, let Russell cook, or maybe take some of those decisions away from him, not let him get in his own head, like kind of maybe happen at the end of the season and try and run the ball like you guys were famous for a few seasons ago? Or what would you like to see out of the Seahawks next season? Um, I want to see trust put in their new offensive coordinator. I, I want them to say, we picked you for a reason, now go. And I want to see what his philosophy is. Everyone assumes it's going to look just like McVay's offense, and I don't think it's going to. I think it'll be different. I think that this is going to be an interesting little hybrid of whatever it is that he feels he wants to do. And I want Seattle to embrace that. I want them to give him, give him a chance to do that. I don't know, Brian Schottenheimer, it took him a couple years to get that. And then it backfired on him and it wasn't just his fault. Brian Schottenheimer is a great guy. So I don't you know, want to dog on him too much, but I think that, that he didn't get that trust. That was a little control issue out of Pete Carroll, which we all know he has. So I think I would like to see that. I would like for them to put their trust in him. Now, what does that look like? I don't know, but if it was ideal for Dana, I like a good run game. Now I don't want them to run more than they pass. I I'm not that I'm not a, you know, run, run pass kind of a girl, but I do think that that constant threat of a good run game is really what keeps other defenses on their toes. And I think that Seattle lost that. They figured it out. Other teams figured out exactly what was Seattle doing was doing after the first five games and they figured out how to play against it. And, and I don't know how many times we heard in press release and press conferences last year, Pete say, you know, we got to change it up. We got to change it up. We weren't adjusting. We weren't adjusting. And I, so I think that they need that, um, flexibility a little bit more and a good run game will help them with that but I don't want to get eaten alive on Twitter by people saying I want them to run every down no I don't I just think I'm, that that threat has to be there I'm just gonna and tweet you now but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's why I was real happy that they brought Chris Carson back because I think that he can be if he stays on the field he can be that threat yeah and you mentioned Chris Carson and he's back and he was progressing that Russ actually wanted to, uh, who wanted the team to bring back, but it's after Chris Carson because that was I, I was of the opinion to let Chris Carson walk because of the money that he probably would have demanded, and you know for a position like running back, I don't think that it makes economical sense to pay your running back a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, because even look at Christian McCaffrey, everyone said he deserved it, but then he missed all of last season, so. Right. You know, it, it just doesn't make economic. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to try and say that word again. And mess up. But after Chris Carson, we're looking at Rashad Penny. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Alex Collins. I think is signed on for another mm-hmm. year. DJ Dallas, Travis Homer. It's a fairly sizable drop off in the running back position. Now, I believe now. Uh, after Chris Carson, who has had injury issues in the last few years as well. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think it is quite a drop off. I, you know, we keep waiting for Rashad Penny to, to, you know, to spike and to, and to really flash and he just hasn't, but he's had the same injury issues 
that Chris Carson has had, and it's, it's very, it's gotta be frustrating for him. If it's frustrating for us, imagine how frustrating it is for him. I really like the re-signing of Alex Collins. I wasn't happy when Seattle got rid of Alex Collins a few years ago. I really liked the way he run. I, I ran and I really liked the way that he kind of fit into the team. And then he went to the Ravens and had such a good year. I was like, damn it. That's exactly what I was talking about. So I'm glad he's back. And I think that he, um, that that I would try if it were up to me it would be Chris Carson Alex Collins then Rashad Penny and nothing against Rashad just because we haven't seen anything else from him yet just because we we haven't seen him for a full season um which says a lot to a certain extent um but I am okay with paying a little bit for running backs again unpopular opinion I know that but you can only pay the running backs like Marshawn Lynch a huge chunk of money. You can only play Christian McCaffrey and it didn't work out for them because he got injured, but honestly worth every dime. I still think that. However, bringing Chris Carson back at the dollars that they did was great. That the, his contract that worked, that was brilliant. He had been, I think, you know, that a lot of people were estimating that he wanted eight to 10 million when that I, and so when they said they resend, we were all like, Oh no. We thought they'd just blown the bank on Chris Carson. Come to find out it wasn't. It was a great contract. And so I, I'm okay with that. But um, I don't see Seattle having gone after another veteran running back. I think they probably would have brought in a rookie had they not gotten Chris Carson back. But Chris Carson was very unhappy with the Seahawks last year. It was you know, pretty well known that he, he was not happy with the team, with the scheme, with anything. I mean, Russ obviously was cooking and so he wasn't doing a thing. And so I really didn't expect him to want to come back. And when he did, I thought, oh, there's been some mending there too. So that's good. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier as well about the wide receiver and and the need for a third receiver. Mm -hmm. The one name that's been linked a lot and uh, is Antonio Brown. How would you personally think about the Seahawks getting uh, Brown. I think it would be horrible, awful, terrible, worst thing they could do. I, I dislike Antonio Brown with every fiber of my being from an off the field standpoint, I could not cheer for him on the field. He, he literally, and I got called a social justice warrior the other day because they're like, Oh, you don't like him because off the field. Yep. That's it. Sorry. Don't like him. Don't have to. I'm a fan. I don't have to, but I will tell you, I think too, that there are better options out there. I think Russ was really pushing for Antonio Brown just because he really wanted that impact person on the field for him. I think he got that out of DK last year. So I don't know that he's going to be pushing for it quite so much this year. Um, the interesting thing with Antonio Brown also is apparently, you know, he and the bucks have been going back and forth and back and forth, trying to get a contract done. And he wants way too much money for the Buccaneers. Well, if he wants too much money from the Buccaneers, he's not getting it from Seattle. I just don't see it happening. So unless he does it to make the Bucks mad, which would be so his personality, then I, do, I just don't see him coming on there. I think that they'll end up drafting a wide receiver instead, um, unless they can get, you know, one of the handful of vets that's left. Um, and, and there's not a lot anymore, but it's just one of the handful of vets for like really inexpensive, but when you have what, or as soon as they signed the extension for Tyler, I thought that's it. They're going to draft that, that, that they are relying on DK and Tyler. They're going to bring in a third kid and we'll go from there. We'll bring back Golden Tate. Antonio Brown to the Jags. Well, oh yeah. 
Well, it wouldn't have to go very far, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would be okay with bringing back Golden Tate. I um, really disliked Golden Tate when he left. I, I just didn't, I didn't love the way he played. And then again, off the field, I was lucky enough to run into him and meet him at a music festival. And he was very nice. I'm like, oh, okay, he can come back now. So I know that makes no no statistical analytical reporter sense, but I was like, Oh, he's not so bad, but I don't think that he would be terrible. He would be a situational player. Um, I think he's still got some, you know, spark left in him and, and could probably come and help. I don't know that he would be okay with sitting behind DK Metcalf. I, I don't know that that he would be all right with that. From watching him from watching him last year with the giants, it was uh, some nice catches that were contested mm -hmm. and uh, it was all them kind of nice balls. But there was also the, the parts where he just seemed to give very little effort. So, but yeah. as you said, a, a situational player is probably his best role from at this time. And I, I don't think he's going to be happy with that. I don't know. Unless he realizes he really is at the end of his career and, and someone has told him that and it's sunk in with him and he's okay with it. And he would like to end where he started, you know, there, players it's all about the money for the players but there is some sentimentality to it they do get a little sentimental about things so so it's possible um i would i wouldn't rule it out that with having him in um by the time we hit training camp and then lastly uh last uh last week the nfl announced that we're getting a 17 uh re game regular season this year what do you make of the extra game week so funny enough, um, when I was covering the Pro Bowl in January of 2020, this before we all got shut down for everything, um, that was when you when you covered the Pro Bowl, you know, it's this giant scrum of players and reporters, and and really you get one question. That's all you got. So I decided I was going to ask the players the same the same question every time, and that happened to be the question I asked them. So I asked them about you know, extending the season, going for a 17th and even a possible 18th game. Cause at the time they were thinking of going to maybe 18 games um, and how they felt about it. There wasn't a single player that was okay with it. There, most of them said that they would then require an extra bye week without question. Their bodies would just need it. Um, they didn't care about preseason if they wanted to leave it, shorten it or whatever. But when it came to that extra game in the season, they where it spoke, you know, a lot about the toll it took on their body, but also about the toll it would take on the game and how you get to the end of the season and you have so many players hurt and then you want to play one more game and then they have to get into the playoffs still. And I mean, it was just, there's a lot of moving pieces. I get that the NFL is a money-making machine. I understand that. And they really, you know, want to stretch it and push it as long as possible. I heard one reporter talking about how, he believed that the NFL was going to start to stretch the season so much that we probably wouldn't have a Super Bowl till the last week of February, that they were just going to keep pushing it and pushing it. And, um, and so I, I don't, I know the players aren't happy about it. Um, extra game checker. No, they're not happy about it. And um, they're worried about what will happen to the game once you get to the end. And what about those teams that have already locked in the playoffs? Are they going to sit every starter they have? And then the game is, you know, not even competitive. So, so it'll be interesting to see if this backfires a little bit. Um, although I think most fans are all about it. It definitely is a fans versus our players situation. I think all fans, when it comes, especially here, if it means more football, we're on board with that 100%. Would it be like, would it a compromise perhaps be like, I can understand what they're not doing under like bye week because I think when they bring in eventually the 18th game, that's when the second bye week will come right. into effect. Would a possible like 
increasing roster sizes from 53 to maybe, I don't know, even possibly 60, maybe 58, say, or something like that, that could maybe help and help maybe get the players on site a little more. That's a good point. Um, I, I think it would. Opening up the game day roster would be very helpful too a little bit. I think that that would be hugely helpful. Um, and the way the cap is projected to jump, I think that they could easily afford those extra players. Um, if not, there would need to be some, you know, some give from the league and changing the cap even more at that point. But I definitely think that that is, um, it, it is a possibility. It's one way to kind of appease them, the NFLPA, you know, that sort of thing. And, and there's some who are out there, they're like, well, they agreed to it. Well, they didn't. You, and you have to understand it's the NFLPA and the NFL, they, they work a lot like American politics. You give a little because you got to get a little. And then, well, this is tied to that and that sort of thing. And there's too much intertwined. Um, and so I think that why it might look like the players agree to it, that this is not what they wanted and this is not how it's going to be. But I think that there'll have to be some concessions given whether it's opening up the rosters, you know, extending it, whatever that may be, giving a break in between the first week of the playoffs and the end of the season, whatever it might be there's going to have to be something. Yeah, I'm not sure why they wouldn't bring in that second bye week. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So obviously, it's pushing back um, something. But I did see the other day, uh, like, as per the NFLPA, um, there can only be three pre- preseason games now uh, with the 17th game. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are okay with that. I'm one of those people who loves the preseason games because I like to see what I always say, what the kids can do. What What is that, you know fourth or fifth string wide receiver what's he got because we have seen as seattle fans those preseason games can make or break somebody's job right happened with russell wilson and so we know that they are important plus i think they're important for the players to kind of get back in hitting shape and that sort of thing which we saw at the beginning of this season there were some questionable games at the beginning of the season so um so i can see that but i think that they need to keep they need to keep some of that preseason. Um, and I think just cutting it down by one is is not really going to change the product on the field that much. I'm, yeah, not, I'm, always, I'm not surprised the pro bowlers you asked were like, uh, yeah, you could get rid of those preseason. I don't think those games are really for the pro bowlers whatsoever. So it really they're definitely they were like, oh yeah, get rid, get rid of them all if you want. It's not our bubble we're worried about. That's for right. sure. Make but I do think if, if you have a player that's truly focused on team and team dynamics and, and let's, you have to remember, you know, a lot of, most of these players, I would even say all these players are smart. They realize injuries happen and you've got to see what kid, you know, number four mm-hmm. has. And remember back in that preseason game, he did this, that, and the other. So go grab him sort of a thing. So, you know, it's, it is a machine, the whole NFL season and teams and dynamics that's a machine. You have to keep that well greased, and, and preseason, you know, helps do that. Perfect, uh, Dana. Thanks so much uh, for coming on today to speak to us. Um, before we let you go, where can people find your work? So you can always find writing my writing on ourturfsb.com, and I will tell you, we're taking a little hiatus. We always get a little burnt out by the end of the season. So we take kind of this early part of the off season off, but we're um, coming back here really soon. Um, and we're going to start um, a regular podcast for that um, site also. And then if you're brave enough as a Seahawks fan, you can find me over at Real Hawk Talk, which is run by Hawk Blogger. Um, I, it's, it's an interesting show, has a huge following and those boys are a little crazy, but we have a good time. So you can definitely find me there. Usually every Wednesday, sometimes they skip a Wednesday if nothing really has happened in the off season, but during the season, it's every Wednesday for sure. 
Awesome. And that is it from us guys this week. Uh, Fiona and Jake, as always, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. And thank you uh, for listening. But before we go, if you haven't already, if you like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network, it would really help us out. Uh, if you're listening to us on um, Apple Podcasts, if you give us a five-star review, that'd be even better. Uh, but even just subscribing would be great. So just search for Dynamo Podcast Network. That you'll fo- that's where you'll find our podcast each and every week. And while you're at it, go to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pod. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at UnderCenterPod. You'll find us there, and it will be links to all of our shows that you can go and have a look through the back catalogue of all the other teams we've spoken about in this offseason so far. But that is it for another show. Tune in again next week, where we'll be looking at another team and their offseason needs. But until then, stay safe, and we'll speak to you soon.